I want to share with you some thoughts from the book of Nehemiah that, that tie into the experiences that we have had recently. And let me tell you a little bit about the origins of, of this message. Michelle Allen and I were praying together a few days ago. It was a post-Hurricane Irma cleanup prayer time. We were, we were praying about the destruction and the cleanup that's necessary about unsettled issues that we're facing, about challenges that others are facing. We were praying as well with thanksgiving for the wonderful things that God has done for us. We were praying for you. We were praying for those, even many people who have been affected by the hurricane who we don't know, but who, who live in our city, in our area, and throughout Florida and throughout uh, the, the islands that were also affected. So it was a time of prayer, but we were also looking at some scriptures and Michelle had been reading from the book of Nehemiah and had noticed something in particular that Nehemiah was thanking God and looking to God for his success. And Michelle said, you know, in the midst of all this trouble, we have to remember something. God wants us to be successful. And then he said, but you know, there's something else in Nehemiah. Opposition. So we started looking at the scriptures and praying according to what we were looking at. It was so useful and so helpful. And I want to encourage you to take time in the days ahead to read the book of Nehemiah for yourself and to look carefully at it and so that you get a picture for yourself of some of the things, some of the important themes. Because once you see clearly what Nehemiah went through, you'll better understand what you're going through. Not only that, you'll better understand what the Jewish people are going through because some people have this fantastic image of the Jewish world and Jewish life and what it means to be part of God's chosen people. It, but Jewish people, you know, sometimes pray, couldn't you choose someone else? <laughs> but the fact is, the blessings that God has given us are not always received by the people around us. Let me give some examples. Are you aware that there are countries on the face of the earth right now that want to destroy the Jewish people, the state of Israel, and are committed to drive the nation of Israel into the sea? There's opposition. So even though God has chosen the Jewish people and promised the land of Israel to the Jewish people, there are others who oppose it. And it's not just political opposition. It's not normal opposition. There's a spiritual opposition as well. Do you know that there are people who, who declare their allegiance to Messiah, and yet they consider the Jewish people to be cursed by God and to be out of favor in all ways with God. There are so many different ways that there is opposition expressed. When you are part of the Jewish people, you can become hardened to the opposition and stop caring and you just become cynical and think, you know, this world stinks 
and you can hate the world. But the scripture teaches those of us who love Yeshua that God loves the world. He loves the world. And that's why Yeshua came, because of God's love. And so we are called not to be detached from this world or unconcerned or indifferent to the world, but to actually enter into the love of God, knowing this, that we will face opposition. Now, when you read the book of Nehemiah, one of the things you'll notice is that Nehemiah had an emotional response to the condition of the Jewish people in the world and of his homeland and of the capital city, Jerusalem, from which uh, he and his people had come. And there's a moment when he's serving as the cupbearer of the king and he has a long face. He's, he's sad before the king. And the king says, what's up? Why, why are you f- this way? And Nehemiah answers him. And he says that he's troubled by the condition of Jerusalem. He's troubled by the fact that the walls have been destroyed and the gates have been burned. And he basically says, if this had happened to your people in your homeland, wouldn't you feel the way I feel? And the king says, what do you want, what do you want to do? It's interesting. They don't just talk about the emotions. They immediately switch into, well, what are you going to do about it? And Nehemiah thinks he prays, and he basically says this, send me. Send me back to Jerusalem and finance me. Pay for what's necessary. Give me the resources and give me the protection and the authorization to go back and rebuild the city. And the king wants to know, how much is it going to cost? And when are you going to be finished? And what's interesting is Nehemiah never says how long it's going to take. The king says, when are you going to come back? And rather than give him an answer... Nehemiah just ignores it. You know why? He doesn't know how long it's going to take. He knows the work is great. He knows it's going to be uh, challenging. And when I read that, and Michelle and I were talking together, we said, isn't that the way it is? You think you can finish something in so much time. How many people are still waiting to finish something that you thought was long ago going to be finished? Or you had to pick it up again. You had to start all over. You had to put another round of effort into it. You were sure it was all going to be resolved by now. And it's not. Once you realize that's part of life, you don't have to be in shock. And you don't have to feel just bad for yourself. You know, like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with you is that you're living in the same world I'm living in. <laughs> we're all in this together. And our world doesn't work quite right. However, even though it's broken, God wants to fix it. Some of the fixing he wants to do on his own and some of the ways he wants to work on his own are through people. That sounds contradictory, but it's the way he is. For instance, when he says to the the unfaithful shepherds of Israel, I will shepherd the people. He immediately says, I'll raise up shepherds. 
the Lord says, I'm going to take responsibility, and then he spreads the responsibility around. How does he do it? He looks for people whose hearts are open to receive assignments, not just to, because they're task-driven people, but because they have a heart for what God has a heart for. They care about what God cares about. And Nehemiah was such a person, he's saying, my heart is absorbed with concern, and I want to do something about it. And so he's sent. He is sent to Jerusalem, but he goes in a covert way at first. He doesn't tell people what he's about. He has to survey the situation. He looks very carefully. And then he begins to tell other people. Now, he needs to communicate to Jewish people who are living right in that area, who have gotten used to the status quo. Everyone was used to the walls being broken. Everyone was used to the rubble. Everyone was used to the lack of safety. And they just adapted to it and thought, that's the way it is. But I can tell you this, you don't really adapt. What really happens is this. You get used to the trouble. You feel it all the time, and you just don't recognize that you're feeling it. You just don't see it. And you think it's, it's the new normal, but in fact, it's not normal. So we learned something from Nehemiah, and that is, you're going to have trouble one way or the other. Choose your trouble. You will have trouble because you see things that need to be done, or you will have trouble because you decide to help fix that. And it's not easy. How many can confirm it's not easy? Jared was telling me recently about a time when uh, the bold water moccasin showed up near the front door. Yeah. Who thought that was part of ministry life? (laughs) Or the dried up snake carcass that was found in the Shalom Center. (laughs) Hey, it's Florida. What do you expect? It wasn't a poisonous snake, uh, but it's dead. And now it's gone. Who thought that was going to be part of ministry? But it is. We deal with all sorts of things. All of us do. We face all sorts of things, things that we could not even imagine. And we're called to make a difference. You see, anything that you can see that could be in a better condition, you may be given opportunity or responsibility to help improve that thing. Now, the world is filled with critics, people who, who look at what is in disrepair or what needs to be done or isn't finished and say, what's wrong with all you people? And God does, does not generally use those critics for anything. They're allowed to commiserate with each other, but they're not very useful. But even a cupbearer who's not a critic, but whose heart is moved, can be used by God and resourced by a king to do historically important things. So Nehemiah is there in Jerusalem. And in chapter 2 of Nehemiah, I want to read to you some words that he spoke to the people around him when he had just gotten their attention 
It's Nehemiah 2, verse 17. I said to them, this is Nehemiah, you see the trouble we are in? Do you see it? You see, they were so used to it, they didn't even realize it was trouble. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. And I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, this is so important, let's start rebuilding. Say that with me. Let's start rebuilding. For some of you, you, you're looking at the wall in front of your own house, wherever it is that this image may apply. And it's in ruin, but you understand if you rebuild that wall, it won't make any difference because immediately to the right and to the left, there's no wall. What Nehemiah did was so important. He spoke to people who couldn't see a future that was any different than it was already. People who couldn't figure out how to work together, and he brought them a vision of what he saw which is the whole thing finished, the whole thing completed. And when they heard what he was saying, let's rebuild the wall, they said, let's start rebuilding. And so they began this good work. And of course, whenever you begin a good work, it's just, it's so easy. (laughs) Verse 19 tells the truth. But when Sambalat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What's this they're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? Verse 20, Nehemiah says, I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. (laughs) You may think you're one of the officials here. You're not. Just because someone's in opposition doesn't mean they have real authority. It doesn't mean they have the endorsement from God. Nehemiah understood that. And you know what, what I saw in all this is there was continual opposition. It came in different ways from different sources. And The reason it came is because people are opposed to what God wants to do. If everybody was already for God, this world would not be in the condition it's in. But because people oppose what God is for, there will always be opposition. Now, let's jump to chapter 6, verse 9. Nehemiah is reacting to and contemplating on the opposition and what it means. And he puts it this way. They were all trying to frighten us. Thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. And I can tell you this, that method of the enemy is used everywhere all the time. And so if you ever experience this reaction, it's like, oh, I give up, it's too hard. Have you ever felt like that? Or you thought, well, I could do it if everybody else would do it, but it can't be done because we can't do it. We don't have what it takes. We don't have the resources. 
It's taking far too long. We're wearing ourselves out. If you've ever had those feelings, you may be in the midst of this kind of battle. But when these responses rise up in you, take note of what Nehemiah did. It says these few words, but I prayed. Say that with me. But I prayed. You see, they tried to prevail over him, but he prayed. And this is what he prayed. Now strengthen my hands. Now strengthen my hands. See, this is where it's so important. You combine the spiritual and the practical together. It's not all spiritual and it's not all practical. It's all both. These two worlds are part of one great universe. And so Nehemiah seeks the Lord and says, strengthen my hands. Why? Because he knew he had to keep working. He knew he had to keep giving leadership. If you ever feel like it's just too much, step back and say, oh God, strengthen my hands. That it would be possible through you, even if it's not possible for me. You see, when it's in your heart to build or rebuild, when God has put in your heart to do that, others will oppose you. And they'll try to get you to believe that you can never do what God has called you to do. And once you believe that, they've won. And you've lost. Now here's the trouble. This reduces each one of us to a place of weakness and insufficiency. And I don't know about you, but most of us don't like to be in that condition. Don't you want to be strong? Don't you want to be victorious? Don't you hate being defeated? Don't you hate being weak? And yet there are moments when all you can do is say, God, I can't do it by myself. And unless you give me strength, I can't do it because it can't be done. And you know when you do that, you're moving forward because you're not giving up. You're not giving in. You're giving yourself to him. When you feel your hands are too weak and your strength is not enough and that you can't do it, And you look at all that needs to be done, the effort, the time, the resources, and you think it's too much, and you say to yourself, I don't have what it takes. We don't have what it takes. We'll never finish what we started out. And you see your weaknesses. That's when you find real grit and you find resolve like Nehemiah did when he just prayed, Lord, strengthen my hands. That's the prayer of the overcomer. It's our prayer. And I can tell you this, if you want to be part of the Messianic movement, learn to pray that. Lord, strengthen my hands. And not just your own hands, but strengthen the hands around you because the wall cannot be built only in one section. It has to be built all together. And in a sanctuary, in a congregation, we're called to be a, a sanctuary of living stones built together. And so you depend on and you need the people around you even if you think you don't. You do. They need you. God needs us together. And this is one of the great insights of Nehemiah. The work is not just for one person. The work is for all. And unless we all do it, it won't be done. So as I was reading this and I was thinking about this opposition, I thought... Oh, there's such 
There's such a false gospel that says, once you come to the Lord, everything's easy. And there are no more problems. And it's all done just like that. You pray and it's done. You pray this and it's done. It's like, you know, fast religion, fast food. 60 seconds, you got it. Everything's cheap. It's the dollar menu in the spirit. But I can tell you this, the real things of God will cost you everything. Because they cost him everything. And when we join ourselves as his disciples, we enter into not only his glory, but his suffering. He became a ransom for us. He gave everything for us. And when we join ourselves to him, you know what we're called to give? Everything. Everything. Now, you don't have to die in order to cover the sins of other people. Yeshua did that. You don't have to pay for the sins and iniquities of mankind. Yeshua did that. But I can tell you this. Those who followed him closely gave up their lives. On so many occasions, as they were faithful to him and served him by serving others. It may cost you everything. At the very least, it will cost something. It will require of you true grit. It will require of you perseverance. It will require of you that you depend on other people as you depend on God to complete what you thought you could have finished long ago but couldn't. We look around and I see all the things that are still on our list of to-dos, all the things that we saw from the beginning before we even started here, all the things we hope for this congregation that aren't yet done. And I think, oh, it'll never be done. But you know what? It will be. But it's not for one to do it. It's for all to do it. And each of us together, joining together, will find our place, we'll do our part when each of our hearts are moved like Nehemiah and the people in Jerusalem. Don't get used to things around you being in disrepair Become one of those who serves God and repairs the brokenness in this world. When Rabbi Yuri called me this morning at 3.30, my phone was nearby. I didn't hear it. But it vibrated so strongly. I woke up and in a stupor I picked up the phone and realized it's Rabbi Yuri calling at 3.30 in the morning from Ukraine. And I tried to answer it, and I missed the call. So I called him back and got him. And we were laughing. And he said to me that he had the appointment at the embassy. And he said, it was such a battle you couldn't believe. So much opposition. And I told him that last night I had said to the congregation today I was going to talk about opposition from the book of Nehemiah. And Rabbi Yuri said, I've got a message for the congregation from the book of Nehemiah about opposition. (laughs) We compared notes, and you know what? We just started laughing that God put the same book in our hearts and in our minds. We didn't consult with each other until after we'd worked out what we were doing. But we'd been praying 
Lord, what do you want to say? What do you want to do? And I can tell you this, when, when you bring a message about opposition, it's because you experience opposition. Uh, we're living in a world filled with opposition. We experience it. How many of you are living in that world? So you know something about it. It's not theoretical to you. It's real. So I, I told Rabbi Yuri that when he comes back, that you'll be ready to hear that message. And he's got some points that go beyond what I was sharing with you today and what I'll speak about this weekend. But I want to encourage you to, to have a heart of gratitude in the midst of the difficulty. Don't give up on that. Have a positive attitude. And remember this. This is what I want to close with. No matter what the loss or the setback or the threat or the danger or the disappointment or the fracture in a relationship that you've gone through, God has brought you through that, and you're still alive. So look around, spot someone, smile at them, and say, I'm alive, and you are too. I'm still alive. Someone's going to break out into a Xanadu song. Kadot tells me. As we're celebrating Rosh Hashanah, we want to continue with the theme from the last Shabbat, a theme of giving thanks to the Lord that we've been preserved and protected. As we went through a dangerous and threatening experience, we um, are also grateful that Hurricane Maria is veering off away from us. Aren't you glad for that? And at the same time, we care deeply about those who are suffering because of Hurricane Maria. Those in Puerto Rico, in Dominica, the Dominican Republic, in the islands that have been affected. You know, some people from some of the islands were evacuated to places like Puerto Rico and put right in the eye of the storm. And so our hearts go out. But we want to thank the Lord that we're alive. And we want to pray for the protection of loved ones, family and friends in the islands. Let's pray together, Birkat HaGamel. I want to ask you to stand up for this. This is a traditional prayer, thanking God for his kindness and deliverance. And I'll call out in the Hebrew, and I'll ask you to repeat after me, then I'll call out in the English. And you can repeat as well. It's a prayer of thanksgiving. Baruch Adonai. Eloheinu melech haolam. Hagomel achayavim tovot. Shegmalani. Koltov. Blessed are you. Lord our God. King of the universe who rewards the undeserving sinner with goodness and who has granted me all goodness. And let us say together, Amen. Amen. We're sinners. We don't deserve God's mercy, but he shows it to us anyway because he's merciful. And every good thing that we have is a demonstration of his goodness. We want to pray now for the families 
and for all those who are living on the islands that are suffering because of Hurricane Maria and the, the previous storm, if you've got family there or friends uh, there, I want to invite you to come up to the front here for just a moment so we can gather together. If you have family in Puerto Rico, in uh, Dominica, Dominica, in any of the islands that have been affected around there, please come up. If you have loved ones who are there, come up. We want to pray together. And we want to pray as well for Mexico and the earthquakes and the, the, the great loss of life that's been experienced there. Yeshua told us that in, in this time of the world there would be earthquakes and there would be great storms and there would be wars and rumors of wars, but the greatest thing to be concerned about is that our own love would grow cold in the midst of this. We want to fan our love into flames and let it burn brightly. I also want to invite up anyone who needs physical healing. You need a breakthrough of some sort for your body, recovery for your body. Come over to this other side. Or if someone in your family needs healing, we want to look to the God of mercy at the same time. If you need a breakthrough, if you've been waiting for something You've done what you know to do, and it still hasn't produced the end result. Come up here, and we want to pray for you as well. And we're just going to ask God for continued mercy. And just so that you know, we're not just looking at the things that haven't been done. If you experience the mercy of God and a breakthrough in this past year, if God gave you a child, if he healed your body, if he restored something, come up and join us as well. And you can add your thanksgiving to the petitions that we have. And let's just pray. We're not going to pray for each individual. We're just praying together as a community. Lord, we thank you that you're a God of compassion and mercy. And we pray for family and we pray for friends in Puerto Rico and Dominica and the, the many islands. And we pray for their safety and their protection that you would preserve their lives. And we pray, Lord, for, for helpful resources as they've lost power and water and safety as roofs have blown off, as uh, cities are flooded, as food supply has been destroyed. We pray for mercy. We pray for recovery. We pray for helping hands that would join together. We pray... Lord, for protection, and we thank you that you have protected our loved ones. And we give thanks for every report we've heard from someone who is alive and who went through the storm and can say, I'm still here. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for your mercy. We lift up all those who need healing and need breakthroughs, who are facing even life-threatening illness, and we ask for life. We pray that not a single day would be stolen. We ask for health and well-being. We pray for strength of heart and mind. Lord, we thank you for all the children that have been born in this past year. We thank you for all the relationships that have been restored, for all the bodies that have been healed, for all the jobs that have been granted, for all the ways that you have rescued us. And we thank you for all the good things that have been done, the little things and the big things. We count our blessings. 
and we know that you're the source of them all. And we pray, strengthen our hands and strengthen our hearts that we would be useful servants to you, that we would put into practice what Yeshua taught us, that if we would love one another the way you have loved us, then the world will know for sure that we are your disciples, that the good news of Yeshua would be believable because it's seen in the lives of those who serve you. Let us be such servants, we pray. In Yeshua's name. Amen. 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 As you return to your seats, just tell someone, Chazak, be strong. We are going to close with our final section of prayers and shofar blowing. And I want to ask you to remain standing for Avinu Malkenu. And please join me as we pray from the slide. Our Father, our King, be merciful and answer us, though we have no worthy deeds. Treat us charitably with loving kindness, for you have saved us. And we can say this, if you know Yeshua, if you love Yeshua and you're walking with him, you can say, you have saved us. We're not only asking him to save us, he has saved us and continues to save us. Avinu Malkeinu Avinu Malkeinu traditional Zachrenu is coming up, but let's say together HaMelech, the king sitting on a throne high and lifted up. HaMelech HaYoshev Al Kisei Ram Venisa. Remember us unto life, O king who delights in life, and inscribe us into the book of life for your sake O God of life. Yeshua taught his disciples not only to pray like this, but to be thankful that their names are written in the book of life and that they won't be blotted out because they're walking with him. (laughs) 
because our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Thank you for your faithfulness. I want to invite our shofar team to come up for the final blowing of the shofar. After this, give you some instructions about Tashlich and then the Oneg that follows. So please remain standing. Give instructions here at the end when she says... Gadola, uh, that is when you are all invited to become shofars using your throat and your mouth to do your best, but the main thing is is that God will hear you. So when she says that, please join in. And those of you who have shofars, you're welcome to join at that time. Thank you. Tekia Shivarim Terua Tekia Tekia Shivarim Terua Tekia Tekia Shivarim Terua Tekia Tikiya Gadola Thank you. 
ones that have volunteered. So I encourage you, if you have a desire to learn this, uh, come on. We're, we've got room, so thank you. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Shofar team. Don't forget there are high holiday schedules in the CPACs in front of you, those beautiful printed cards. Take them with you. Use them as an invitation to give to others. And it's time to RSVP for the Sukkot picnic. We'll be having celebrations uh, at Sukkot. We'll have uh, a Saturday celebration here in the sanctuary followed by a big picnic and gathering outdoors. It's going to be a great time. But RSVP for that so that you can put in your order, what do you want to eat? Because there are some choices. And you can let us know how many people are coming so we have more than enough food for everybody. Right now, we are going to go outside to the lake and we are going to have a short tashlich service where we remember that God has promised to cast our sins into the sea. And so we've got rocks that represent our sins. We've got small rocks and big rocks. Jared came last night with a rock this big and said, should this be an option? I said, someone's going to need it. So join us outside. Take everything you've got out. If you've got children in the nursery, don't leave them there. Get them. And then following the Tashlik service, we'll go into the Shalom Center and have an Oneg and fellowship together.